neighbor, you are listening to the New Garden Church podcast, and we are so glad you're here. Our church meets at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person, or you can catch our gatherings after the fact on our YouTube channel. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. So it's been a week at the Whitson House. Uh, I'm glad to be here. The rest of my family's not here today, and uh, they're sad they're not here. Isaac, last night when he found out he couldn't come to church today, he's like, well, that's the best time of the week for me. Uh, And so just keep us all in your prayers. We kind of navigate some stuff and get back to where we can be here and be together and uh, worship together. I'm going to talk about fear and anxiety this morning. And before I do that, I want to give a disclaimer, and I want you to listen to me. Whether you're here or you're going to watch this later when it's posted online, if you're dealing with severe, crippling, chronic, consistent anxiety or fear, do not hear what I'm about to say today as a condemnation of anyone seeking professional help. If you need help, or about to get help, or need to get help, do it. We have to do a better job of looking after our mental health like we do our physical health. As I look back over my life, and I look at my life as on a continuum or on a a time, I look at, on a timeline, I look at times when I was unhealthy physically, and you know what I did? I went to a doctor, and I got the help I needed. I had a tree fall on me about 13 years ago. I could have ignored that and tried to go on about my life, but it took about a year for me to get back to where I needed to be, and you know what helped me do that? going to a qualified medical professional to get that done. For whatever reason, we don't seem, and some of it lays at the foot of religious people, we don't seem to say the same for our mental health. But both facets of our lives, both our physical health and our mental health, are on this lifeline that we're on. And sometimes we need, physical help, we need professional help, professional support to be well. Seeking professional help is not a sign of weakness, nor, does, nor is it a sign of not having faith, but rather just like when my blood pressure is high or when a tree falls on me or whatever it is, it's a sign of intelligence to go get the help you need. So do that. So don't hear what I'm saying as a condemnation of anybody seeking the help they need in their lives. Now, <laughs> I finished writing this sermon Thursday afternoon, and later that evening I picked up my Enneagram book, which I talked a little bit about last week, uh, written by Ian Crone, and I was reading the chapter, which is chapter six, which is about um, people who need security, and their main focus in life is fear and security. Unhealthy sixes are the conspiracy theorists of the world. They think everybody's out to get them. They think everything's really bad. Everything's always going to be bad. At the beginning of his chapter, when he starts talking about fear, he, he defines fear versus anxiety. Now, fear is a real, immediate, clear, and present danger. Uh, think somebody chasing you around your house with a chainsaw wearing a hockey mask. That's real danger. That's danger that's right there in front of you. Anxiety and, and worry is more, of, by contrast, a, kind of sometimes a vague, free-floating sense of apprehension that rises to response to something that's not known or not realized yet, and that may not ever be materialized. 
So this morning when I talk about fear and I talk about anxiety, I want you to hear kind of a both and, leaning sometimes towards the anxiety end of the scale. Crone says this in his book. He says, The air we breathe is humid with anxiety. The air we breathe in our country is humid with anxiety. And what a horrible companion fear is in life. I mean, an absolutely horrible companion, but it's an unfortunate companion. I was going to try and sit the whole time, but I can't do it. It's an unfortunate companion in, in the world that we live in. We live in a broken world, right? We live in a world that's not as God is be, having to try to navigate through it. What we fear is very telling in our lives. Fear drives us as a country right now, and I don't want to get on a soapbox, I'm going to talk a little bit about it, but there are certain things in our life that are controlled because of the things we fear. Media uses fear in a very adept way. They'll, they'll introduce a, a, a volatile story or a volatile story headline, and they pull us in and they feed, us, they feed our fears with these little heavily edited morsels of truth that cater to a specific need or a specific mindset. And this is extremely evident in the fact that depending on which side of the aisle that you stand politically, you generally have one or two news outlets that you will say are reliable and that you'll watch or that you'll even entertain on any given time, any given day. And they know that they need to keep you hooked so they keep putting out things that are very sensational and they feed right into our fears. And it becomes this vicious cycle of us, we keep returning to the same garbage and we keep getting the same garbage put into our minds and it reinforces the biases that we already have. One of the greatest tools of, of the American political machine today is fear. We as Americans have been pitted against each other based on how we vote. We are told that the other side is the what? That the other side is the enemy. And by calling someone or something an enemy, it becomes incredibly easy to dehumanize them. And once we dehumanize them, it becomes even easier for us to tear them down and treat them with no respect. Advertisers know that fear equals money. I learned early on in my real estate career, when I started selling real estate, about how brains work as I, I studied uh, advertising and that type of thing. And there's this thing in your brain, it's called reticular activator. And if you say something enough times, or you tell somebody something enough times, they'll start seeing it. Like if I say red truck enough, you know what you'll see today a lot? You'll see red trucks a lot. They'll have always been there, but you know what? All of a sudden, your brain will be like, oh, there's a red one, and there's a red one. And Josh talked about red trucks, and there's a red one. Or if I start talking about houses for sale or overpriced houses, every house you see all of a sudden is overpriced. Oh, that house is overpriced, and that house is overpriced. If you get any literature from me, my tagline is your friend in the real estate business. Because anytime you think about real estate, you, I want you to think, huh, I have a friend in the real estate business. And you call me when you want to buy or sell a house. Insurance companies thrive on fear. Those commercials that say, don't, don't you want to take care of your loved ones after you're gone? Or the really good ones right now are the mayhem commercials, right? With a dude that does all that crazy stuff, and then at the end, the guy with the voice comes on and says, if you don't have insurance like we have insurance, you won't be covered. And we're like, oh my goodness, I'm not going to be covered. 
Alarm companies make bank on fear and anxiety. If you remember the commercial where the wife and the daughter come in and there's a guy standing there tearing their TV out of the wall. The next scene is her signing a contract and the ADT guy putting a sign in the yard. Our fears invite us to live in the land of what if. What if this happens? What if that happens? But the grim reality is that's like living in the Hotel California. You can, you can never leave, right? And so we keep getting into this loop where we keep getting more and more stuff poured into our minds and we get hooked. And I tried to do some research on fear and things we fear in America and quickly a few things came <laughs> evident. Number one, surveyors can get, manipulate surveys to get whatever answer they want from you, right? They can word any question to get you where they want you to be. And it, the second thing is it's hard to find a survey that's not politically motivated. They're just not out there. One thing that I did seem as a constant thread pulled throughout was that going into 2022, Americans were more fearful than going into 2021, and every year, that, that part of it has gotten more and more intense. More fear. More fear. This little piece of research came from the Pew Research Center. It was published in May of 2022. I'm not endorsing it, just giving you something for your knowledge. It's top, I think it's top ten things. As I read this, a couple of things that really stick out to me. Of the top five, one, two, and five are about money. And three and four about power and control. Now, a few weeks ago, Brent was here from Woodmont, and he spoke about the great parable. And one of the things he talked about was what keeps us from God. He came come back to the idea of money, prestige, and power are the things that seem to keep us and stand between us and God. And not much has changed. Not much at all has changed. It's kind of like the, the example you had of, of how to catch a raccoon. You, know, you put that shiny thing in a, in a jar, and he gets his hand there, he gets a hold of it, and he can't get his hand out of the jar, right? And he won't let go, and he'll die instead of letting go of that shiny thing. And unfortunately, there's things that we kind of cast out there in front of us that we get a hold of, and we won't turn loose of, and we'll allow them to wreck us emotionally, spiritually, physically, rather than turn loose of them and just be for God and, in, and for God in this world. I grew up in a conservative section of the Church of Christ. Uh, we talked last week a little bit about old hymnals. and um, Does anybody remember this hymn? I cut the top of it off. The, the title of it is Watching You. Y'all familiar with this? All along on the road to the soul's true abode, there's an eye watching you. Every step that you take, there's a great eye that's awake. There's an eye watching you. Now, if you just sit here and you read it, it's kind of scary, isn't it? There's an eye there's an eye watching you, Charles. There's an eye watching you back there, Charles. And you, Paul, there's an eye watching you. It reminds me of this. Does anybody know what that is? Any geeks among us? That's the eye of Sauron from Lord of the Rings, right? More than it reminds me of this, which is an artist's rendering of God looking at his creation. And I may, be, I may be way off base, but that hymn and those mindsets feed into a reality that teaches us a God that doesn't exist. But for some reason, we like to be drawn to a God who is angry 
and a God who is demanding and a God who is about punishment and judgment. A God who has an eye on you watching everything you do and you better not fall. Because God is some vengeful thing up there totally divorced from who we are and where we are. And He's got His big eraser out and He's looking at His book and He's looking around He's going, all right, Chris, your name's gone. You messed up. But I love the image that David gives us in Psalm 2, which is our text for today. Where he writes this. In Psalm 2-4, he writes, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Now that's an image of God that speaks to me. That's an image of God that, that gets traction with me. A God that understands what it's like to be human, but at the same time sits back and, and watches us, and he's like, I just don't know what you are doing down there. Sometimes when I watch my kids, my boys, and one of them comes and says, well, Noah did this, and Noah did that. But let's understand it in context. This is from the message. Why the big noise, nations? Why the mean plots, peoples? Earth leaders push for position. Demagogues and, dem demagogues and delegates meet for the summit talks. The God deniers, the Messiah defiers. Let's get rid of God. Cast loose from Messiah. Heaven enthroned God breaks out in laughter. You see, we're all down here jockeying for position and posturing and acting like we're tough. And God's sitting back going, what are you guys doing? To us, it's about power. To us, it's about control. To us, it's about might. It's kind of like if you ever watch UFC and whenever they have the weigh-in, they'll have a stage like this and there'll be all these people on stage and the fighters will come up and they'll stand face-to-face, -face, almost touching each other in the nose and there'll be all this posturing and everything. And sometimes fights break out at the weigh-in because they just can't contain themselves. And God sits back and He laughs. And I think we, we have to understand why, right? Let's go back one. The one sitting in heaven laughs. You see, God's able to laugh at the, the frivolity that is our life sometimes because He's the one sitting in heaven, right? He's the one sitting enthroned. And I, anybody in here ever met that goal yet? Is anybody in heaven? Is anybody sitting on the throne in heaven? See, because that's God. That's who He is. You see, we can amass all the guns that we want and we can have the latest and the greatest security system with all the cameras and the little punch pads and we can see it on our phone. We can have the biggest Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. We can have the best insurance. But guess what? Until you and I can stop a storm with a single word, any sense of power and control that we have is an illusion. But our fear, our fear paralyzes us. And we're fed into it from all around us. And we're compelled to do something. And that's when we become irrational. You see, your brain, you want the blood to stay up here where the rational thought is. But where does the brain rush to whenever that all happens? It goes to the back of the head where it flips that switch where they, either you want to get into a fire or you want to run away. That's why people tell you when you're in a really tense situation, what should you do? Take a couple deep breaths. Let the blood flow back to the right part of the brain so you can make a rational, intelligent decision. Because fear causes us to forget. 
We forget whose we are. We forget from last week's sermon why we chose to plant ourselves with God. And we become these irrational people. And we forget that nothing, that nothing can stand against God. But the nations, they rumble and they groan and they say, let's cast off God, let's get rid of God. But fear and anxiety isn't just about the little things, the big things, right? But it's about the little things that if we do the little things wrong, we'll get the big things wrong too. How we choose to behave in the workplace whether we choose to be ethically or unethical, whether we choose to be ethical or unethical, is about whether we trust God to provide or whether we let fear of scarcity override us and we hoard and we mistreat and we misuse so that we can have everything that we think we need when it's really what we want. Or it's how we choose to behave in the realm of politics. Do we vote and talk in ways that honor God Or do we act in ways that we think will preserve or bring about our own selfish desires? Or how we choose to behave in social settings when we interact with each other? Are we builders or are we demolishers? Andy Stanley says you should view every interaction, every relationship you have as a construction site. That your job and my job as professed followers of God, as Christians, is to be builders. To build up, not to tear down. And I've long said, every interaction we walk away from, we should be able to go back and share God with that person. But I want to tweak that. I don't think that's right. I think that every time we interact with somebody, they will know whose we are. They will know what we believe in. It's kind of like where we choose to put the words in God we trust in our society. I think it's funny we put it on money. Or on license plates for that matter. Because if I have to print it somewhere for the world to know, I'm not doing a good job. If the world doesn't know by the life that I live, that I trust God, writing it out is not going to help. It's not going to help them, and it's sure not going to help me. The fear part of this is that we don't want to appear weak. We want to have respect, and we don't only want that. We demand respect. We don't want anybody thinking they can take advantage of us. See, there's a struggle in this psalm between humanity wanting power and the reality that we don't have power. After God laughs, then he warns them. He says, look, you can either choose to honor me or you can choose the way of destruction. Randy Harris, a professor at Abilene Christian, I heard him speak a lot of times. When he talks about Revelation, he says, people ask me all about all the stuff in Revelation. And he said, do you want to know what the point of Revelation is? The point of Revelation is God wins. Period. The end. Now, pick a winning side. Do you want to be with a winner or do you want to be with a loser? 
Cronin says in his book, in the same chapter, he says, we need to be reminded on a daily basis that we are part of a story that ends well. Now, choosing to find our refuge in God does not mean that we all of a sudden have this magic elixir that is going to insulate us from bad stuff happening in our lives. But by faith, we know that our story, big S, ends well. The end of Psalm 1 from last week, the way of the wicked leads to destruction. There's not an option for riding with a losing team and then expecting God to welcome you with open arms after your life is over. After I spent all my life defying God and denying God, there's not some understanding that God will all of a sudden say, hey, yeah, come on over. And Psalm 2 ends in somewhat the same way where he says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, the psalmist gives us a beautiful ending. God laughs then, tells it like it is, and we're left with this. Do you want the way of the world, which is chaos, or do you want the way of God? Blessed are you, as the psalmist says, if you take refuge in God. Up until about a year ago, I was not a fan of doing things like setting goals, uh, saying positive things to myself, reinforcing positive things to myself. I started listening to John Acuff, and I recommend him and, and a lot of his books. He has a really good positive. If nothing else, it's a really positive podcast that he does on a weekly basis. And he talks about this, and he says, look, when I first started reading this stuff, he said, I thought it was junk. He said, then I read Zig Ziglar. And if you know Zig Ziglar, Zig Ziglar has, and Zig's not with us anymore, he had these, I can't remember how many words, there's this whole list of affirmations, and every morning he would get up and he would look in the mirror and he would read these affirmations out loud. And every night before he went to bed, he would look in the mirror and he would read these affirmations out loud. And Achaf was like, that doesn't sound fun at all. He said, but I did it. And he said, it started making sense to me. And so in his book, um, Soundtracks, which again, another book I'd recommend, he has a, a, one that he reads to himself every day and every night that are about positive things that you need to hear into your own life. And I think we can benefit from such things in our life. Now, touchy-feely, new age, mumbo-jumbo, whatever you think about it, I used to be in that camp, but I got to tell you, saying positive things out loud, not just in your head, but where you can hear them being said, is tremendously helpful. And given the overwhelming odds that we are facing in our daily lives, the constant flow of negative, self-serving messages, you and I would both benefit, all benefit, from writing some stuff down and at the very least reading it out loud daily. Maybe you need to say that I have fear, I have worry, I have anxiety, and it's keeping me from following God and trusting God. Naming and facing such things will move us so much further down the line than if we just sit back and hope they get better. It's like having an infection in my foot and sitting back thinking, I really hope that'll get better, but I'm going to keep about my daily life and just let my foot fall off at some point. Write them down. And then I can't stress this enough, invite God into the process. Pray about it. 
Pray about it. Pray about it. Invite God into the midst of the battle because who is the only one that can win that battle for you? God is the only one that can win that battle for you. And then this may be the hardest part for you. Write out what you want next. And here's a simple template. God, I worry about. God, I have concern about. God, I, I, this is bothering me, which causes me to act in this way, and I want this instead. Please help me. And you know what? By us writing those things down, you know what it does? It causes things to trick in our, trip in our mind, and we're like, oh. Because things roll around in our head, and we can push them to the side and hide them in other places. And it, this may sound crazy. You may not be like, Josh, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not going to do this. But I promise you, if you are interested in spiritual transformation, there are concrete steps you have to take to get there. You can't sit around wishing that things were different in your spiritual life, in your marriage, in your health, in whatever, for, whatever place in your life. You can't sit around wishing those things were better without doing something about it. And you can call me crazy if you want to. But if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always had. Now, who's the crazy one? The opening line from our song this morning that I played, which was from, uh, his first name is Josh. I know that. I can't remember his last name. But the song is titled Evidence. Josh Baldwin, that's his name. The last line says, Whom shall I fear? The evidence is here. See, we can fear like the world, or we can live into God's calling. And the psalmist says, blessed is the one who finds refuge in God. Pray with me. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for some time. Thank you for your word as it comes to us. I pray the words that I have said this morning will be fruitful, and if anything I said has not been helpful, I pray that... um, You'll help everybody just to forget them. Father, thank you for today. Walk with us. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.